Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith. TJ Hernandez is going to join me on the show today to talk quarterback draft strategy, and later I'll go solo to discuss the impact of scoring settings on relative quarterback values in fantasy football. The music on today's show is Last Believer by Good Riddance from their 1996 album, A Comprehensive Guide to Modern Rebellion. As usual, you can hear the full song on the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. And while Last Believer is one of my all-time favorite songs, it has been since high school, it also serves as a pretty sad reminder of America's lack of progress in the arena of social justice. America was founded way back in 1776, theoretically on the principle that all people are created equal, but as of 2020, we still haven't made all-encompassing equality a reality, evidenced recently and infamously by George Floyd's murder at the hand of four police officers in Minneapolis. But Floyd's murder is only the tip of the iceberg, as countless other tragedies have been visited upon people of color throughout the history of this country, and the sum of these injustices has finally started to amplify the discourse surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement. Honestly, I feel kind of shameful for not being more vocal about these issues up until this moment in my life and in our nation's history, because sadly, this is not a new problem in America. Like I said, that Good Riddance song is from 1996. We need to be talking about this stuff right now, and we need to keep talking about this stuff until systemic change is realized. And in regards to this podcast, it feels wrong to tune out what's going on in the world, even temporarily, to think about and talk about something as trivial as fantasy football. That's just the way I feel about it right now, and it's hard to justify this stuff. But at a base level, I know that you're all tuning into this show just for that, for fantasy football. And I have to admit, I'm really struggling with this idea of balancing the platform I have between speaking my mind about these real-world issues that are important to me and speaking to what you all subscribe for. But I was inspired by something recently I heard Michael Wilbon talk about on the ESPN show Pardon the Interruption. He was reacting to a story that some NBA players might not want to come back and play when their season resumes because they felt they needed to focus their attention elsewhere to fight for social justice. But Wilbon made the point that the NBA and all the media coverage that comes along with their product is those players' platform to communicate with the masses, to help foster change. This podcast here that I'm on right now is nowhere near as big as the NBA or even pardon the interruption with Mike Wilbon, but it's my platform and today I've decided to use it in this way. Now, I promise I'm not going to preface every podcast with political leaning segments like this, but for this first episode back since George Floyd's murder and all the resulting protests, I did feel the need to acknowledge what's going on before we pivot to football. And even still, I fear that by only dedicating a few minutes here at the onset of the show to speak out against racism, I'm glossing over or maybe underselling the seriousness of this issue. So let me say it very clear and straight away. Racial inequality and systemic racism in public institutions are a horrendously serious problem. Please do what is in your power to help bring these issues to light and to root them out. It's not going to be easy, but there are plenty of ways that you can help. Start by registering to vote. Make your presence felt at the polls, not just in the upcoming presidential election, but in all elections at all levels of government. Vote with your wallet, too. Avoid supporting businesses whose political contributions propagate racial inequality. And on the flip side, try to support minority-owned businesses, particularly local ones. Shop local when you can. If you believe that every American has the right to peaceful protests, please consider donating to bail funds for protesters and for bail policy reform. And please consider donating your money and or time to countless other organizations that are helping to support the rights and livelihoods of people of color. There's plenty more that you can be doing, 
And there are so many better authorities on it than me uh, that you can listen to in an effort to evaluate your own actions, be a positive force for change. But you have to be willing to listen and willing to be critical of yourself. My hope is that if you tuned into this podcast, at the very least, you came in with an open mind about how you think about fantasy football. Maybe you were willing to change your mind about a player in fantasy based on new information that I was going to present to you in this show or that TJ Hernandez is going to present to you. And if that's the case, I really don't think it's too far a leap to hope for open-mindedness and critical thinking when it comes to your views on social justice. Be respectful, ask questions, listen, and be an ally to people of color. I'll be doing my part as a listener and as an ally, even if I'm not always vocal about it here on the podcast. These issues aren't going away by themselves, so don't get distracted and lose sight of that. But again, I'll close by saying this. I understand that you are here subscribing and listening to the show for the purposes of fantasy football. We're still going to bring that to you. So on that note, there's no simple way to segue. Let's just move on to my conversation with TJ Hernandez. All right, everyone. TJ Hernandez is here. TJ, it's good to get you on again. How you doing, man? Yeah, Greg, what's up, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Just uh, kind of grinding off-season content like everyone else at, at 4 for 4 and uh, holding out, assuming we're still going to have a season for now. Yeah, fingers crossed. And one of those pieces of content you have done recently is on quarterback studs and duds yep. for 2020. A uh, really great article. I urge everybody to go check it out. And you outlined some metrics like expected touchdown rate, uh, things like that, to identify which players might have over or underperformed last year and then kind of look at those players through the lens of 2020. And again, I don't want to spoil who you wrote up in that piece. I want to kind of say, okay, if you have those studs and those studs in the article that everybody needs to read, let's go a little bit deeper. Yep. If you had to make like an honorable mention for a quarterback stud in 2020, somebody who didn't make the article, who would it be for you? Before we like jump into that, at least I like, give the people like what the scope of that article oh, is. You kind of yeah. touched on it, but it's only it's only through the lens of um, of touchdown uh, regression. We we call it studs and duds, but it's really like just players that could like real that really overperformed or overperformed their touchdown expectation last year, which I think is a fair starting point. Uh, just because that's where a lot of fantasy points obviously come from, and the reason a lot of players at any position overperform is or underperform is is because of touchdowns. Um, so it's it's a extension of research I've been doing for I think this is the fifth year at four for four we've done it, which just looks at touchdown expectation, um, and I expanded that research a little bit this year. So yeah, definitely check that out um, and look at it. But I mean, with that idea in mind, it, there there are some players that uh, it, it doesn't cover every positive or negative situation going into the year uh so some players didn't make it that that you might think should or shouldn't but uh regardless to answer your question i think an honorable mention as a quarterback stud in 2020 um outside of that article is carson wentz he he was in a pretty peculiar situation last year uh with the eagles the eagles they were a good team nine and seven but not a great team offense was um not as exciting as as we thought it might have been going into the year with Deshaun and Alshon, they ended up with pretty much uh, uh, no receivers to throw to the, the the lowest wide receiver target share in the league last year. And if we just look at it, who Carson Wentz is and, and his possible expectation, he since he's came in into the the league, his numbers are pretty similar to a player that everybody is really high on. That's Dak Prescott. Both have a career touchdown rate of 4.7%. The yards per attempt are very similar. Carson Wentz's are slightly lower. And obviously Dak has a 
maybe one of the best offenses in the league now um, after the draft this year. But Wentz is, is getting a bunch of weapons back as well with uh, maybe uh, two, the best tight end duo in the league and everybody's favorite running back this offseason, Miles Sanders. So this could be this could be a really exciting offense. And Carson Wentz, his, his yards per attempt and his touchdown rate last year were both the lowest since his rookie year. And we saw him already. We, we know he has the ceiling in his range of outcomes. In 2017, he had a 7.5% touchdown rate, uh, which isn't you can't expect. But with all these, with these weapons um, added or, or coming back, that's obviously something that he could attain. And one thing that we're really looking for from a quarterback that – can be a, a, a top tier quarterback or or a quarterback that could really uh, outpace his ADP is rushing. Uh, 60 rush attempts in two of his last four seasons averages four attempts per game for his career over a 16 game season that puts him over 60. And we we're seeing a shift in the elite quarterback ranks. And the shift that we're starting to see is that rushing and mobile quarterbacks are really taking over uh, those elite ranks. I, I wrote an article earlier in the offseason called uh, Four Trends that you can apply to 2020. And, and one of the big takeaways from that was this uptick in rushing attempts from the top tier quarterbacks. If we look at last season, uh, every quarterback that finished in the top six had at least 52 rushing attempts. If we take uh, the average attempt of all of those quarterbacks, uh, 92 uh, rush attempts on average. If we look at the 10 previous seasons, Seasons, the average of uh, uh, that, I'm sorry, the floor, the, at least 52 rush attempts was the average of the top six quarterbacks from, from the previous 10 years. So we see that number shifting and a lot of people will say, well, yeah, of course the average is high. Uh, we had Lamar Jackson as the number one quarterback. <laughs> Even if we remove Lamar Jackson from the equation, 2019 still would have had uh, tied for the second most rush attempts by quarterbacks in the league since 2002. So we're seeing a shift to the mobile quarterbacks. If we're drafting a quarterback that we want to be a stud that's going to be elite. Uh, we want that mobility and, and Carson Wentz, I don't, people don't talk about him in that discussion, but he has, actually rushes a little bit more um, than a guy like Dak. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's the sneaky silver lining with Wentz that a lot of people, like you said, overlook is his rushing production. He's been very consistent in that regard. And if he does get these weapons back and they do start to perform at the expectation that we had for them entering last season, then the needle could be pointing in the right direction for Wentz. Now, we mentioned the weapons. To pour a little bit of cold water on this, mm -hmm. the Eagles have already lost their right guard. Brandon Brooks just tore his left Achilles. He's going to miss 2020. So that's not good. You don't want to see offensive linemen go down for your QB. And Alshon Jeffrey is also injured still. Has a oh, foot yeah, injury. Yeah. No timetable for return. Now, honestly, I don't know how much that matters because it's not like Jeffrey looked all that great last year. He might be on the wrong side of the wide receiver aging curve. Mm -hmm, just as a sure. sidebar, are you... Are you concerned about Jeffrey's impact on this offense or do you think the other receivers can pick up the slack even if Jeffrey's not there I mean really I, I think if you just talk about uh obviously Jalen Rager's a rookie but a rookie that a lot of people are excited about and uh I mean we were we were looking forward to Deshaun being back with the Eagles last year and I think that's what I was kind of excited about and if he can be healthy I think those two guys are way more important than Alshon I mentioned earlier the maybe the best tight end duo in the league. Yeah. Uh, Zach Ertz and, and Dallas Goddard are both going to, they're both guys that can line up in the slot. They don't have to be in line tight ends um, and really create mismatches. So if you can have guys clearing out space and then Miles Sanders, again, 
I think he's one of the he's a running back that can make the leap to like that elite pass catching back. He he's not just a guy you're going to dump it off to. He could run a lot of routes. You could throw it deep to him. Um, he could be a 100 target running back this year. So I'm not necessarily if if there if you told me tomorrow there's no Alshon, I don't think I would necessarily change this as like not a not super late. I think Wentz is going like as a QB 10 or QB 11, um, but still a guy that I'm targeting if I'm not targeting one of those top end quarterbacks. Yeah, for sure. Now I wanted to ask you about Derek Carr, who finished with nearly five passing touchdowns below expectation last season, as outlined in your article. And most players' touchdown rates will regress to the mean, but Carr's a special case to me. He strikes me as the type of player who might be an outlier based upon his typical or his typically low depth of target. Does it track for you that quarterbacks who have more of that dink and duck approach to get their attempts and to get their yardage might be more prone to underperformance in the touchdown department? In short, no. I mean, a lot of times we just see there there are a, a couple career outliers um, when these rates don't regress normally like we would expect. Um, but it's very very rare that you see a quarterback, no matter what their prototype is, to just like consistently post something like a three percent touchdown rate. Uh, it just it's it's very hard to to maintain that and then stay in the league as well. Um, and also one thing is uh, there there is a little bit of a chicken or egg thing here with. Yes, he does dump dump off a lot and hasn't necessarily had the guys to stretch the field either. So I think a lot of people would say that he he can't do it, but he was. If we look at uh, Sports Info Solutions, I mean, there's a lot of different metrics you can you can look at at this and and try to decide if they're good or not in the deep pass. He was top 10 in on target rate on those deep passes. They just didn't do it very often. So I don't know if Henry Ruggs alone is going to change that for them, but at least gives them one more option with, I mean, I, I don't know what Tyrell is going to do. He, he kind of fell off last year with injuries and whatnot. But uh, if you have both of those guys on the field, at least gives Carr a chance to push it down the field. So um, he's a guy I think we could see positive regression from. Again, if if we're getting into like guys that were targeting late, I, I want a guy that's going to be uh, mobile and give you some of that rushing upside. But but no, I mean, it, it's not necessarily like a, a, a player like Carr is never going to regress to the main. Yeah, and you made the point that because they're bringing in these extra weapons, uh, Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs, mm-hmm. they're looking to be able to push the ball down the field a little bit more. And one of the things we have to do as fantasy owners is not just look at last year's stats. We have to project forward. We have to yep. look at what's different from last season and try to incorporate that into our analysis. So it's going to be tricky with the Raiders and with Carr because there's just so much unknown with these new guys that they've added. But th- there is some reason for optimism there. Uh, the last guy I want to talk to you about with potential for being, I, I think, uh, a stud this year kind of relative to expectations at least is Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. I think he's likely to be inconsistent because the shorty, the 49ers are surely going to implement, you know, those run heavy game plans in plenty yep. of their matchups, but even in run heavy scripts, quarterbacks can spike on the positive side of touchdown variants. Like they might run the ball a lot, but Garoppolo happens to be the person who chucks it in the end zone. Once they get into range, uh, Ryan Tannehill was a very good example of that in 2019, just really high touchdown rate performance, despite, you know, a lower number of attempts and all, and all mm-hmm. that. But I think that there's still going to be plenty of opportunity for up-tempo games for Jimmy G and the Niners with plenty of high-powered offenses on the schedule this year from their opponents yep. by 4-4's adjusted fantasy points allowed numbers. San Francisco's schedule ranks 8th best for quarterbacks in 2020. So while Garoppolo might be frustrating to own in traditional redraft leagues where you have to set your lineup every week, he seems 
like a roller coaster I might want to buy some tickets for in best ball, right? Where you don't have to worry about when you're going to start him. What do you think of Garoppolo this season? Yeah, so here's the thing about a guy like Garoppolo is you're going to get him so late in your draft. In, in most drafts, you're going to get him so late in the draft that he's not going to be a guy that you're necess- necessarily – compelled to keep on your roster and feel like you need to keep starting him every week if he doesn't pan out for the first couple weeks you're, you're going to be fine either dropping him or streaming and that's kind of the point of guys like Garoppolo and, and, and streaming quarterbacks in general is that we talk about how we can project quarterbacks pretty confidently and another thing with my quarterbacks or, or with quarterbacks that we're drafting late and we'll probably touch more on this a uh, little bit later towards the end of the, this segment is we want to, we want to target late round quarterbacks that are going to give us a ceiling or have a ceiling in their range of outcomes. Um, and we saw that with, with Jimmy Garoppolo. We saw him put up 29 points against the Cardinals, put up uh, 32 points against the Cardinals a couple weeks later, have the huge uh, game uh, in the shootout against New Orleans a few weeks later. So we've already seen him have a stretch in this offense that a, pe- a lot of people would call run heavy, where he had uh, quite a few ceiling games in a relatively short stretch. We want quarterbacks that can do that. Another thing that I, I, a lot of people might be overlooking with the 49ers is we talk about regression on offense all the time. I think this is a defense that could regress a lot going into next year. Yes. Um, and sh- I mean, yeah, they are near the top of the league if we look at something like like DraftKings uh, over under on, on wins, but they might have to win games a lot different like they did against the Cardinals, um, like they did against the Saints last year. If, the Niners, one of the best teams in the first half of the season against quarterbacks. Then down the stretch, after some injuries, after some aging, we saw Kyler Murray drop a couple 20 spots on him. We saw Lamar Jackson, obviously, he was putting 20-plus against everybody. Drew Brees had a 40-point game. Uh, Russell Wilson had a big game. Jared Goff had a big game down the stretch against them. Uh, so this defense might be, and they might just put the Niners in the situation where they're not going to be the offense we saw last year, um, and we can see Jimmy have some some more of those ceiling games. So, uh, yeah, another guy that I didn't talk about in the article, but those are the kind of, he, again, he's not going to give you that rushing upside, but we've seen him have not just ceiling games, but stretches of ceiling games, and those are encouraging. Yeah, I love that point about the defense. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, we've talked about honorable mentions in terms of mm-hmm. quarterback studs. Let's Look at this from the other angle. Let's look for maybe some dishonorable mentions, uh, potential yeah. QB duds that you didn't mention in the article. Who stands out to you as uh, potentially one of those guys? Yeah, this is a this is actually tough, not just for this question, but it was tough in the article and tough all, all around because I, I, I think anybody that's subscribed to 444 or listened to us talk or write in articles before, um, you've done a ton of work on quarterbacks. Like we're generally late round quarterback guys, but I think quarterback ADP, at least as far as the ranking this year is really, really sharp. So it's hard to like look at any of the top seven quarterbacks or top eight quarterbacks and say they don't belong there. So, so when I looked at this question, it's like, okay, well, who's still being drafted as a quarterback one that I'm, I'm a little hesitant about. And, I already talked about a couple guys in the article. One guy I didn't talk about is Drew Brees. Uh, he just kind of missed the cut last year. And in my article, 6.9 touchdowns over expectation, almost seven touchdowns over expectation. Uh, he had the highest touchdown rate of his career, which is probably a little hard to believe, 7.1% touchdown wild. rate. Yeah, uh, a really low average depth of target. We saw that last year, obviously, Michael Thomas with his insane catch rate. And then they bring in a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, who has been able to stretch the field before, but uh, getting a little bit older. And and as he's aged, those, those targets have moved closer to the line of scrimmage and, and closer away from the 
the sidelines. It's a team that run, that uses their running backs uh, a lot, uh, whether it be through the air or on the ground. And then Drew Brees is a guy where he's not going to give you anything on the ground. And the reason I, I mention a guy like Brees and just people, there's quarterbacks in this range, this Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Tom Brady range, you got quarterbacks that can be very efficient, have been very efficient, might put up some gaudy passing numbers, but they give you nothing on the ground. And then you're drafting them in this eight to 10 range where unlike what we just talked about with Jimmy Garoppolo, where if you draft him and, and you don't feel compelled to start him, or you're not worried about dropping him. Drew Brees still psychologically, he's Drew Brees, he's on the stage, you spent uh, a draft capital where you draft him as a top 10 quarterback. If he's just mediocre, you're never going to feel compelled to bench him or drop him or start somebody over him. So you're like, if he is mediocre or does regress a little bit, you're like forcing yourself into this quarterback that is never going to give you this quarterback one upside. And, and sure, he'll have he he was crazy efficient last year, but like I said, highest touch right of his career, and I don't think uh, – when we talk about all these quarterbacks that have this rushing upside, if he is just slightly above average, now you just have this replacement level quarterback that you feel compelled to start every week. And and I'd rather, instead of spending a, I don't know, seventh or eighth round pick on him, like why not wait a few more rounds and get a guy that we talked about, um, uh, like a Garoppolo where, where you have, you can still have similar upside, but you're, you're not compelled to start them every week. Well, and that's where that, original point you made about quarterback ADP being relatively sharp this year really comes into play. If you don't get one of those mm-hmm. true difference makers, one of those top five to seven guys, you might as well just wait until quarterback 12, whoever that might be, right. because there are plenty of good options in a one QB league. Now two quarterback turns that up on its ear a little bit. Uh, and For we sure. can talk about that a little bit later, but before we get to that, I want to talk about one guy who is inside that top seven, who I am worried about. And he's just at the bottom of it. It's Josh Allen. And don't get me wrong, the rushing production from Allen is great. We've talked about that a lot. But we know that Josh Allen is not a great passer or a great decision maker. According to Pro Football Reference, his mark of 5.16 adjusted net yards per attempt is worst in the league over the past two seasons among regular starters at the quarterback position. And only Marcus Mariota has a worse sack rate than Allen's mark of 10.8% in that span. And w- without spoiling your article, another one of your bust candidates from there was the third worst in sack rate behind Mariota and Allen. So I'll let the listeners try to figure yeah. out who that is. Plus, <laughs> Allen is stuck in a tough division with a difficult projected schedule. The adjusted fantasy points allowed numbers that are referenced as a positive for Jimmy Garoppolo paint a much gloomier picture for Josh Allen. Buffalo was slated to face the second toughest schedule for quarterbacks this season, tied with the Raiders for what it's worth. If you're looking for another reason to fade the aforementioned David Carr. But I don't know, where do you think Allen should be drafted among quarterbacks, CJ? He's currently going as the QB7 in ADP, but to me that feels like his ceiling. I'm not saying he's going to be terrible and unusable because because again the Russian production matters and we'd like that that provides a pretty stable floor I just don't know if he's going to be that every week starter we want him to be mostly because of the schedule more than anything else what do you think yeah I mean the, the reason we we liked Josh Allen in years past or over um late in his rookie year and then going into last year is is because he wasn't being drafted this high now I kind of agree he is being drafted as at at his ceiling he finished uh I believe it was as the quarterback seven overall last year in fantasy points and that was with his 109 rush attempts but and like I said we we would like to target quarterbacks that have rushing upside the problem is 
all six of the quarterbacks being drafted ahead of him already have rushing upside. So it's not like he's going, we don't see a path where he's necessarily going to leap any of these guys because they all can rush him rush as many times as, as uh, he does. Kyler Murray, 93 uh, attempts last year to Josh Allen's one Oh nine. I think, uh, I don't think it'd be a surprise for Murray to get to a hundred this year. Deshaun Watson, 82 last year, Russell Wilson, 75 last year. All those guys can be pretty close in terms of rushing upside. And then Josh, Josh Allen had um, nine rushing touchdowns uh, where someone like Russell Wilson only had three. Kyler Murray only had four. Those rushing touchdowns are going to be uh, very high variance for any position, but especially for quarterbacks. So I agree. Um, he probably is being drafted at his ceiling. We'll get into this, our, our general quarterback strategy, but uh, if, if I am drafting a, a quarterback that isn't necessarily late round, I think I'd probably want a top six guy. Probably want to wait as long as possible for one of the top six guys. And then after Watson or, or Wilson, just depending on how your league drafts, I think I'm probably waiting, um, letting someone else take Josh Allen for all the reasons that you stated. Yeah, so let's get into that discussion because we've, we've talked about some specific players, but let's talk more about just your baseline strategy for drafting quarterbacks and how you adjust depending upon the format that you're playing, right? Like yeah. how you draft and redraft is going to be different than how you draft in Dynasty. I mean, I think I think that's a pretty simple distinction, right? It's you generally yep. want to lean a little bit younger, although I will say that with quarterbacks in particular, their careers are so long that you can actually get by with some older guys at the QB position, even in Dynasty. But other formats change the calculus as well. You know, best ball, one quarterback versus two quarterback. Uh, auction versus snake draft might dictate yeah. how you go after this stuff. Like, what do you what do you think are the best pieces of advice you could start with in terms of helping our listeners uh, get better at understanding the best way to draft quarterbacks across various formats? Yeah, so the I mean the the dominant format is still a one quarterback redraft league with a generally uh, modest size roster, 16, 18. A lot of people still playing 15, depending on what platform you're playing on, uh, 15 roster spots. So it it's not a secret anymore that late round quarterback is the preferred method. I do think there has kind of been. Uh, an overcorrection on that. Obviously, we're still seeing guys like the um, like the Lamars and and like them as homes going uh, earlier than I would like to take them. But on the other end of the spectrum, uh, the late round quarterback method has kind of turned into this game of of quarterback chicken. And uh, it depends on your league, obviously. But it's not just being the last guy to take a quarterback. Like you still want to have a target at quarterback. Our goal isn't to go into the season and being expecting to stream every week. Our goal is still to be targeting players that we can get as the quarterback 12, quarterback 13, quarterback 14 that could give us quarterback one quarterback two weeks every single week we're looking for the we're not going to find a, a Lamar or Patrick Mahomes every, every single season or in every single draft but we want to give ourselves the option to have those guys so looking for players that have that rushing upside uh, like a Carson Wentz being taken as a quarterback 11 or quarterback 12 um, in offenses that are ascending I, I still am targeting um, a player that I think has the the elite upside, a guy that's kind of flying a little bit under the radar, or a lot under the radar uh, this off season, because so many people are kind of catching up to that. I want a rushing quarterback, and all of the best rushing quarterbacks are going in top six or seven spots. Um, Gardner Minshew is is a player that is on a 
team that's probably going to have to throw a lot. He had 67 rushing attempts last year without a rushing touchdown. Like I said with Josh Allen, those rushing touchdowns are are uh, very high variant. And if you get a guy that's rushing 70, 80 times like Minshew might uh, this year, he can be a guy that finds the end zone seven times uh, on the ground, even if you don't think he's, he's the best passer or has the best weapons. And that could really catapult you um, up the running back ranks. And then this year, I think, is especially interesting interesting because I don't know if you necessarily want to blindly go into a draft and say I'm going to take a late round QB because I think the players that are most likely to have a Lamar Jackson like season are the players going right after the top tier. Uh, Kyler and Dak are going three to four rounds after Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. So if you're really hungry for a guy like that, I, I think a guy like Kyler can have a Lamar-like season in an ascending offense. Uh, I already mentioned his rushing upside. Interesting thing about Kyler, of the top six quarterbacks, he has the highest standard deviation in his current ADP. Him and Dak have, have both went as late as 90. Kyler's late as 96th in uh, in best ball ADP. Uh, so, I mean, a late-round quarterback is still my preferred strategy in traditional leagues, but I think people have went a little too far with it and kind of blindly started looking um, at it and just saying, I'll take the last quarterback and stream. Like my goal isn't to stream. My goal is to have a league winner still. Yeah. We really need to give credit to the fantasy community for figuring this out. Finally with guys like Murray, <laughs> like in a previous season, like two years ago, even though Kyler was considered maybe an ascending young player, he still would not have cracked the top five or top six of quarterbacks after only one year. It's just not how it works. People just look at the previous year's scores. They say, okay, here's my rough starting point for ADP. I might bump some guys up two or three spots, but the leap for Murray was incredible. Like you're going to see him ranked as high as QB three in a lot of places and never lower than typically QB five or QB six. And I agree with you at some point we have to consider those guys, you know, Wilson, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, even though Deshaun Watson lost DeAndre Hopkins, like that tier of guys, this is the first time in a while where the second tier of quarterbacks is appealing to me. It's not super yeah. dangerous because they, that rushing floor is built into all these guys' profiles. And so yeah. I think if you wait uh, just a little bit longer than some people, but not as long as most of your league wants to, if you end up with any of those four guys, you do potentially get that league winner. And that's really exciting. And it makes for a more interesting draft, I think, now that we've kind of figured this out, don't you? Yeah, and that's why that's why I mentioned the standard deviation of, of Murray's ADP, because if you are in a league, even if it's not an expert league, if it's a relatively sharp league, if you know 80% of your league has some kind of subscription and they're probably privy to, to late round quarterback, if they are on that kind of thought process and Kyler drops, like I said, to the 95th pick, if he's in the seventh or eighth round, the guys that you're drafting any position at that point are probably pretty high variance picks anyway. And I think probably you mentioned Kyle, someone like Kyler making the jump. I think one of the biggest indicators that fantasy is, is getting sharper is the fact that Ryan Tannehill is being drafted like as a QB 19 after his insane season last year. Like if we go back two or three years and Tannehill had the season he did last year, he'd be going as a top 10 quarterback and he's not even close this year. What are you doing with the guys who we didn't get a great sample size from last year? The Ben Roethlisberger's, the Matthew Stafford's, because Mm -hmm. we know these guys have some sort of ceiling baked into their range of outcomes. We've seen them perform at, you know, top five, top six quarterback levels before, Mm -hmm. but they're coming off these injuries and they're getting a little bit older. How concerned are you about that type of player versus 
maybe someone who's a little more steady, I should say, like your Aaron Rodgers or your Philip Rivers or, or Matt Ryan or Drew Brees, like that type of player. Like, are you digging those guys who missed time last year or do you just kind of assume they're going to be healthy the full year and slot them in you know, accordingly? I think Roethlisberger's, um, he, he's a little scary to me because he's so much older um, and coming off of an injury. And there's just so many question marks about what that offense is going to be that he's a guy that probably makes me a little nervous. I'd rather have a guy like uh, someone we already talked about, like a Garoppolo, um, even like a Daniel Jones. Whereas Matthew Stafford, we've seen him put up ceiling games, ceiling seasons multiple times. Like Ben Roethlisberger, he's kind of just been like a, a steady quarterback, like never really been an insane ceiling quarterback throughout his career. So I don't think there's any reason that to expect him to do that. So again, I'm, I'm looking for ceiling when I'm going, if I'm waiting outside the top 12 quarterbacks. Um, I don't think a guy like Roethlisberger is necessarily going to provide that for you. Let's talk about two quarterback leagues and super flex leagues because mm-hmm. these are gaining popularity. Thank goodness. Like it's yep. about time. And there is a difference in how you have to draft. Obviously I wrote an article sure. about this at four for four earlier this season or this off season. And the, the calculus has to change. More quarterbacks are going to get drafted. What are you doing in those t- types of formats? Like what sort of advice would you give to people who are just getting into two QB or super flex? Uh, I think two QB and super flex is I think people are a little more nervous uh, to wait on quarterbacks mm-hmm. than than they would be in a one quarterback league, and I think that usually opens up some value opportunity. I, I think probably you're going to be a little more inclined to to want to get three really steady guys if you don't get a stud, but also you're going to be in a situation where you're not often going to have. Um, a waiver wire that's full of quarterbacks. So you're going to be able to to mix and match and play these matchups very well. So uh, if you're able to grab three reliable starters in like that top, it's it's actually kind of similar to a, um, a best ball strategy, which we didn't get into, but you don't want to wait for your QB two or even QB three to like be in that range where they don't have the upside to be league winners. Like I, I still want two guys that are, I don't know. It just, it depends on the year, but somewhere in that like top 14 to 16 quarterback range, I don't want my QB two to be the, the quarterback 25 going off the board. Cause it's just not often that guy's going to have a lot of upside, but two or three quarterbacks in that top, like 15 to 18 range. If you're confident in your ability to play matchups, I think you can still comfortably wait on quarterback if you're confident enough that you're going to be able to uh, to navigate your league and let some of your league mates um, get a little too gung ho on players that might be you know fifth or sixth round quarterback picks that they're taking in the second or third round just because of the demand of the position. Yeah, I really like the tension that it puts on drafters, right? Because you can pay up for Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson in the first round, but if you do that in a two quarterback format you have to play catch-up at running back and wide receiver for a little while after that in rounds two through five. Now, if if you want to pay up for a second stud quarterback as soon as round two or round three or round four, then you're really falling far behind at the other positions. And I think for that reason, that's where that value-seeking you talked about comes in, where you, you honestly don't really care about getting those top guys because you're loading up on running backs Mm -hmm. and stud wide receivers and you'll be okay drafting Carson Wentz and Jimmy Garoppolo, those guys who have that ceiling at lower ADP. But like you said, you can push that too far. Now let's say you are drafting in a two quarterback format. You get a little stuck behind the eight ball in terms of 
waiting a little bit too long maybe for your QB2 or, or even you're looking at the dregs for your QB3. Who are the quarterbacks at the, the very low end of ADP who you're interested in? You already mentioned Gardner Minshew, so let's let's go over somebody other than him. But who's a, a dumpster dive QB who you are interested in in 2020? Yeah, Minshew's one that I, I like because of his rushing. We don't have a lot of um, uh, uh, rushing upside quarterbacks this year. I think you have to start, depending on how long you wait, you just might have to be in a situation where you're you're going to have to draft some guys that might not be starting every game that you might just get three or four ceiling games out of. So uh, before we get into those, I think guys like Philip Rivers or Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Philip Rivers, I think Indy's offense can be uh, take a nice little jump this year with Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater in situation. I think he's just going to be on a team with a really bad defense where they could just be forced to play a lot. And and I think you can – a lot of people are going to look at a guy like Teddy Bridgewater and say, well, he was a dink and dunk quarterback this year, very low A dot. I think that had a lot to do with the system because Drew Brees was doing the same thing, and I don't think they were necessarily going to change the – the offense because Teddy Bridgewater was there. Now he has, he's on a team with some field stretchers and a uh, running back that he could dump it off to a ton. And then, like I said, sometimes if you are in these super flex leagues, you might just be looking for guys. Maybe they only start half the season, but they can give you some ceiling games. Tyrod Taylor, a player that's going to, that we've seen been able to run around a lot and, and get a lot of points on the ground. Ryan Fitzpatrick, we know he has a lot of ceiling uh, games uh, in his back pocket, even though he might be uh, losing ground to Tua by the time uh, week eight or nine comes. But once you get into that situation, you can't be afraid to draft those guys because you might just need to get the useful weeks out of them and that could be worth it for you. Any other quarterback strategy you want to impart to the listeners before we sign off here? Wanted to to briefly touch on on four point versus six point passing touchdowns, and I think that's probably one of the most misunderstood concepts in fantasy football, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're just like in a traditional one quarterback redraft league. I think a lot of people mistakenly just drive up all of their quarterbacks and start drafting them a lot earlier because. All of the quarterbacks are scoring more points. But if all the quarterbacks are scoring more points, that means the replacement of the quarterbacks is still there. Like that you can still get that QB1 scoring off the waiver wire. What six point passing touchdown really does is it kind of diminishes the value of the rushing quarterbacks, especially the rushing quarterbacks that only rely on their rushing like uh, we talked about like with the Josh Allens um, last year, Kyler Murray, his passing numbers weren't great. He still finished as, as the QB seven or eight, I believe. But if we look at the points per game, those guys, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, they dropped down to like quarterback 12, quarterback 13 in terms of point per game. Um, and then we see Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, their numbers get a lot closer to those guys that have the rushing upside. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be taking a quarterback that would go in the eighth round and the fifth round because of six point passing. It's just that the, the quarterbacks um, that don't have any rushing upside, they could catch up to those quarterbacks that do have rushing upside. Yeah, absolutely. Those passing touchdowns become worth more relative to the rushing production than they were before. Exactly. And we see a similar thing at the FFPC with passing yardage, where it's one point per 20 yards passing versus one point per 25 yards passing, which is a little bit more traditional. Having it only be 20 yards at the FFPC makes those pocket passers go up slightly in value. And not again, not in a way that you want to draft them earlier than you would outside of that format, but you want to draft them more 
easily ahead of the Russian guys because their passing yardage is worth more relative to the Russian production. It's a very subtle distinction and it can be confusing and misunderstood for sure. So I think that's a great last point to bring up here and end on. Uh, TJ, thanks a lot for joining me uh, on this segment. And uh, why don't you let folks know what you're working on? We mentioned the Studs and Duds article at 444.com. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, But otherwise, uh, let listeners know what you're working on, where to find you and all that stuff. Yeah, everything um, at 444.com or um, on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. That that Studs and Duds article should be wrapping up this week with uh, wide receivers and tight ends. And then as a team, we've been doing some really cool work. Uh, we've been putting player profiles out all season. We've moved those player profiles to uh, debate articles where we have two uh, authors from 444 taking uh, one player um, while the other art while the other writer uh, takes another player, very similar ADP. Those are really fun articles. And then um, the the big uh, talk in the fantasy industry right now, uh, SFBX or SFB10, um, depending on what you call your iPhone, um, <laughs> is uh, we'll have some some content breakdowns on on that awesome tournament uh, that Scott Fish puts on. Very unique scoring, so we'll be diving into that on the site as well. Yeah, if you're interested in that, go to scottfishbowl.com to find out the details. It's a big fantasy football event. Not everyone's going to be able to play in it, so it's not necessarily applicable to everybody, but it's it's fun to research. It's fun to think about, uh, again, how these scoring settings can affect the values of players, and I can't wait to see what the team cranks out of 444.com. Uh, thanks again for your time, TJ. I really appreciate you coming on. Always a good time, bud. All right, TJ's gone, but I still want to dive in a little bit deeper to this idea of scoring settings for the quarterback position because whether you're playing in Scott Fishbowl or just a regular four-point-per-passing touchdown league with standard settings, these things do matter. How the quarterback score points is going to affect how you should draft them and deal with them in season. I think this is most applicable in 2QB and Superflex, but it's also very important in best ball, as I mentioned with the FFPC. I think it's a little bit more limited in one quarterback redraft because fewer QBs get drafted overall and there's an expectation of a streaming approach from some percentage of teams in all one quarterback leagues. With that said, understanding your scoring system properly will still help you figure out which guys from the smaller pool of draftable quarterbacks and which streaming options are worth targeting uh, in the draft and in season respectively. And we've touched on the difference between passing touchdown value, four points versus six points. I'm also going to talk about interception values, whether they're worth zero points, negative one or negative two. And the big picture takeaway that TJ laid out was the most important one. If passing touchdowns go up or if interceptions go up, the value of those doesn't make quarterbacks more or less valuable than other positions in a significant way because no matter what the scoring settings are, it's already easier for quarterbacks to score points in other positions, right? These guys are going to put up points kind of no matter what, unless the settings are really screwy. And your quarterbacks aren't fighting with players from other positions to get into your starting lineup anyway. Like even in Superflex, where you have the quote-unquote option to start a quarterback or a different position in that Superflex spot, 99 times out of 100, you're probably going to try to start a quarterback in that spot because as I said, quarterbacks score points more easily than other positions. So ultimately, the way QBs score doesn't change the supply or the demand associated with the position in fantasy. And that's why we don't necessarily need to bump QBs up above running backs and above wide receivers if, say, the passing touchdown value goes up from four to six. There are still 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and the scoring settings don't affect how many starting quarterbacks are needed to fill out the rosters in your fantasy leagues. What changing the scoring settings does is affects the relative value of certain quarterbacks. 
And those changes are based upon how each quarterback typically scores his fantasy points, as we've talked about. In four per TD leagues, rushing quarterbacks go up in value because their points from rushing yards and rushing touchdowns are worth more relative to points scored by passing. And also, subtly, in four-point-per-touchdown leagues, quarterbacks who gain more of their points through raw passing yardage go up in value as well. These compiler types, the guys who are putting up a lot of yards, aren't scoring as much by throwing touchdown passes. So if the value of those TD throws is lessened, their points associated with yardage are worth more. Now, in six points per touchdown leagues, quarterbacks with that higher pass attempt volume, they're going to go up in value. More passes means more opportunities for passing touchdowns. And if the passing touchdowns are worth more, they're going to start to scoot closer to the rushing guys or ahead of the rushing quarterbacks. I I also mentioned interceptions and the effect of the scoring value associated with INTs is a little bit more obvious, right? In a zero per INT league, quarterbacks who throw a lot of picks go up in value. Uh, because those interceptions don't count against them. Whereas in negative two per INT leagues, quarterbacks who protect the football go up in value. So let's talk about which quarterbacks gain or lose value depending upon the scoring settings. And we're going to use the four for four projections to do this. The methodology behind this was simple. I took the projections that we have for quarterbacks. I laid them out you know, so you can see how many pass attempts, how many pass yards, how many passing touchdowns how many interceptions, etc. And then I just tweaked the value of the points associated with those stats. So in a spreadsheet, I have the same stats for, let's say, Lamar Jackson calculating his score in a 4 per TD league and in a 6 per TD league and in a 0 per INT league and a negative 2 per INT league. And so what you see is the shifts that these quarterbacks take when the scoring settings change. So let's dig into which quarterbacks shift the most in value. And it does start right up at the top with Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. In four per touchdown leagues, Lamar Jackson is the QB1, Patrick Mahomes is the QB2. In six per TD leagues, they switch places. Mahomes becomes the QB1 and Jackson becomes the QB2. This is simple, right? Mahomes is going to throw more passing touchdowns. Jackson is going to score more points on the ground with his rushing yardage and his rushing touchdowns. So if passing touchdowns are worth more, Mahomes becomes worth more and vice versa. Uh, Let's keep going down ADP. Kyler Murray. He's projected for the third most rushing attempts and the second most rushing yardage. So his value is much higher in four per TD where he projects as the QB5, whereas in six per TD, Kyler Murray projects as the QB7 or the QB8 depending upon the value of interceptions. Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. These three quarterbacks project best in terms of interceptions per pass attempt among starters. And because they protect the football so well, their values go way up in leagues that penalize interceptions more heavily. So if you're in a league that has interceptions worth negative two or even negative three or negative four, Wilson, Breeze, and Rodgers, those are guys that you might want to target. Now, I should note that Russell Wilson... Because he still offers a lot of rushing production, his gains are a little bit more understated in terms of the value shift associated with the the scoring setting on interceptions. Uh, Wilson only gains two spots in four per TD leagues uh, between zero per INT and negative two per INT. And in six per touchdown leagues, uh, Wilson ranks only three spots higher when interceptions are worth minus two than when they're worth zero. So uh, Wilson... Because he's scoring points in a more well-rounded way, I mean, he's still an elite guy. He's still going to be drafted highly, but you don't need to worry so much about adjusting his rank depending upon the value of interceptions. Uh, It is 
a small difference compared to someone like Breeze or Rogers, because Breeze and Rogers are more traditional pocket passers. Their gains are a lot more significant. Uh, regardless of touchdown scoring, both of those guys jump up at least five spots in projected rank when interceptions go from zero to negative two. And in four per touchdown league specifically, Rogers projects as the quarterback 21 in zero per INT, but the quarterback 12 in minus two per INT. That nine spot difference is the biggest gap generated by the QB scoring settings that I'm going to discuss in this podcast. The second biggest gap, of course, belongs to Breeze, who jumps up six spots in six per TD leagues when the interception value shifts from zero to negative two. Now let's get to a guy I mentioned with TJ as being a potential bust, Josh Allen. Again, because his fantasy production is tied largely to rushing, and because he projects for more interceptions than every other quarterback in the position's top 13 of ADP, he only really shines when passing touchdowns are worth four points, and his value decreases as interceptions become more costly. He projects as the QB6 in four per TD, zero per INT, and as the QB6 in four per TD, minus one per INT, but he projects as the QB9 in six per TD, negative one per INT, and the QB11 in six per TD, minus two per INT. Uh, This is probably a little bit too jargony, uh, but the overall point is that Allen is currently the QB7 in ADP, so he's essentially being drafted at his ceiling because even in the best case, he's only projecting as the QB6. Factor in Buffalo's second tough schedule that I mentioned earlier, and I think Allen might be my pick for the most overrated quarterback in 2020 drafts. Uh, Let's move on to Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford, and Phillip Rivers. Wentz does offer some rushing production. We've talked about that already. But for the most part, all five of these quarterbacks are more prototypical pocket passers. And for that reason, they all generally rank better in six per TD leagues than in four per TD leagues. Typically one to three spots higher, depending upon the value of interceptions. Rivers is a special case when it comes to interceptions, though. He projects for more picks than these other guys, Ryan, Brady, Wentz, and Stafford. So Rivers actually loses two spots in the projected rankings when interceptions go from zero to negative two. The sweet spot for Rivers is in the intersection of six per touchdown and zero per INT, where he ranks as the QB 15. If you're in that sort of scoring setting scenario, Rivers is a guy you might want to target. Going a little bit deeper into the quarterback ranks, Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Dwayne Haskins, along with Phillip Rivers, these four guys all project to finish at least two spots worse in negative two per INT quarterback rankings than they do when interceptions aren't penalized at all. Uh, This is both for four per touchdown and six per touchdown because Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Dwayne Haskins, like Rivers, project for more interceptions. So these are the guys that you want to ding in value relative to other quarterbacks when the cost of interceptions becomes worse. Uh, Let's move on to Ryan Tannehill and Joe Burrow. Both of these guys suffer in six per touchdown leagues partially because both figure to be sneaky sources of rushing production, kind of like Carson Wentz. Each of Tannehill and Burrow are projected for nearly 60 carries and about 240 or more yards on the ground, and neither quarterback is projected for very many passing touchdowns in the first place. Burrow, because he's an inexperienced rookie on what should be a relatively poor Bengals team, and Tannehill, because his offense's projected performance is tied so heavily to the running game with Derrick Henry, and and just because we need some regression for Tannehill. We know that's coming. Add it all up, and when you shift from four per passing touchdown to six per passing touchdown, 
Tannehill drops at least four spots in the projected rankings, highlighted by a six-spot drop when interceptions are worth zero, and Burrow drops at least two spots, highlighted by a three-spot drop when interceptions are worth zero. And the similarities don't stop there either. Both Tannehill and Burrow also suffer in negative two per INT leagues, because even when they're at their best in four per touchdown leagues, increasing the deduction from for interceptions from zero to negative two makes both Tannehill and Burrow drop three spots in the projected rankings. Tannehill goes from QB 11 to QB 14 when interceptions go to negative two, and Burrow goes from QB 19 to QB 22. So the sweet spot for these two quarterbacks is four per touchdown, zero per INT. Jared Stidham and Tyrod Taylor are next. Uh, These guys have some rushing production, so they're going to be worth more in four per touchdown leagues. But it is worth noting that Taylor doesn't actually gain any spots in the projected rankings. He's slated to be the QB 32 in all combinations of four per passing touchdown, six per passing touchdown, zero per interception, negative one per interception, and negative two per interception. So why am I saying that Tyrod Taylor gains value in four per touchdown leagues? Well, it's because he becomes much closer to the QB 31 in four per touchdown than he is in six per touchdown leagues. So he's not actually gaining any spots in the projected rankings, but he's closing the gap between where he sits and where the QB 31 sits. And that's In general, just another key takeaway from this research. Small shifts in projected rankings can represent more significant relative shifts in the value of of the points associated. Ultimately, it comes down to how the quarterbacks are scoring their points. I can't emphasize this enough. So, for example, even though a quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger doesn't shift much in the projected rankings, at most one spot or two spots, depending upon the value of touchdowns or interceptions, we can still surmise that Roethlisberger is more valuable in six per touchdown leagues because we know his value isn't really tied to rushing production. And so if you can kind of grasp that big picture, overarching view of what these scoring settings do when they change, that's going to give you a much easier way to shortcut how to evaluate these quarterbacks, how to shift them in your own personal rankings when it comes time to draft in your league, with your custom settings. As passing touchdowns become more valuable, pocket passers become more valuable. As passing touchdowns become less valuable, rushing quarterbacks become more valuable, and so on. We've talked about this a lot. I just kind of want to hammer it home here at the end. That's all I've got for you on today's episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, you can find me at Greg Sauce. Head over to 4for4.com. Check out all the stuff that TJ plugged. We've got a bunch of other great content going up there. I'll be back again next week, hopefully tackling some scoring settings for running backs and wide receivers and tight ends. We're going to talk PPR versus no PPR, half-point PPR, that sort of scoring setting uh, analysis. And if I have time, I'm going to look into point per first down as well, both rushing and receiving. So stay tuned for that next week. I'm really excited to dive into those topics. Get over to 4 for 4, get subscribed. We've got some earlier bird pricing and effect, and there's usually a giveaway going on this time of year if you get a sub to 4 for 4. For example, a signed Lamar Jackson jersey was part of a recent giveaway for new subscribers. So if you want to get in on that action, if you want to get access to the best content in the fantasy biz from all of our great contributors, head over to 4for4.com, check it out. Otherwise, thank you, as always, for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. Show me a purpose, please show me how. Desperate science, 1,000 symptoms, one disease, government physician, to decide all policies. Don't look back, don't wait till history repeats. No, no more lies, no more bodies in the streets. 
the right. 